If you, will the fine-looking ushers here, would you guys pass out the scriptures? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. These guys will get you one. And um, if you do have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 3 as we're going through the book of Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians, which just means letter. The letter to the, the churches in the region of Galatia, chapter 3. And um, what we do at Calvary Chapel is we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we sit for the word of the teacher. So, would you stand with me? I'm not going to be the only one sharing this morning. I have a special guest that will come up uh, towards the end of the message to just hit a grand slam. That's what's going to happen. All right. Picking up at Galatians chapter 3. I love the way Paul starts this, by the way. We talk about seeker-sensitive churches. Paul would not be hired. He looks at the congregation. Could you imagine me showing up on a Sunday going, you idiots. Well, I guess I've done that, haven't I? <laughs> no, but Paul, Paul comes out and he goes, you foolish Galatians. And he means it. What, what do you, you shelve your brain? Hello, McFly. That's how, it, that's the translation. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He's quoting out of Genesis 15. Therefore, now that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I'd like to just get an amen there. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, a lot to undertake, but so profound, especially as we're entering into Good Friday and the Seder, Resurrection Sunday, Passover, Lord. So powerful to recognize that the sinless blood of the Lamb of God was shed for the remission of our sins and that we're made righteous not by what we do, but by what you did, Jesus. That's a miracle. And even Abraham believed you and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't observe the law. It wasn't even around. And so the just shall live by faith. But Lord, we realize that Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in all things written in the book of the law. Lord, we're all cursed. We can't keep the law. We failed to keep the law. We're cursed. 
But then you go on to say, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And so we rejoice in one sense that Christ, you hung on a tree, you hung on the cross. So that the curse upon us of the failure to keep the law, we'd be delivered from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Lord, I I pray that that truth would be established in every heart in this room. It's a tough one to comprehend in one Sunday morning, but Lord, it's not that tough. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast, period. So Lord, I pray that no one would leave this room without comprehending that and obtaining that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, relax. Paul comes out of the chute, and, and just to refresh you, if you're here with us for the first time, Paul had planted a number of churches in this region called Galatia. And you see in Acts 14 that he worked his tail off to minister to these churches. And he would preach Jesus Christ, and he would preach salvation by grace through faith. He'd lay that out, and, and there was so much persecution for Paul that literally in Acts 14, uh, they took him and they stoned him. And let me just tell you how they stoned someone. They tie him to a post, put their hands behind their back and, and tied to the post. Their legs are tied to the post. Their head is tied to the post. There's a, a perimeter around them, a very small perimeter. And then you'd have like a, a coat check guy. And actually, Paul did that when Stephen was stoned, when Paul was still just uh, an unsaved man. But the, there would be a guy that you'd take your outer coat off so you could get a good running start. And you'd hand it to the guy and he'd hold the coats. And then you'd warm up and stretch your arms. You'd go and find a nice, big, fat rock you just take a running start and get as close as you can to the guy and just smack him. And there's nothing he can do. Unprotected. Boom. Boom. People would be laughing. <laughs> as his jaw would dislocate, as his ribs would break, as his face would be in, impaled. And, and you just, they would be laughing hysterically while they're watching this, this body being brutalized by the stoning. And Paul was stoned. And, and as they're laughing hysterically and, and the life in his body exits and he collapses in a puddle of brokenness and they untie him and he collapses, they drag his lifeless body in Acts 14 to the outskirts of the city, probably kick him a few times and leave him for dead. And so Paul's saying to the Galatians, he's saying, did we suffer in vain? Because when they finished kicking the daylights out of Paul, they came back in and went after everyone who agreed with his message. Now, you and I sit in the comfort of this room, and we're even, like, uncomfortable because it's so cold. Hint. I'm not cold. I just see some of you still bundling up. But we have air conditioning. And you're sitting in a cushioned seat, and you're critiquing music, and you had coffee available to you when you came in. Maybe donuts. I don't know. In the 1040 window, longitude and latitude where the majority of the Muslim world exists, you give your life to Christ, and I guarantee you'll be drugged to the outskirts of the city and left for dead. And Paul would preach salvation by grace to be delivered from bondage of man and legalism. And as he's preaching this and their lives have been set free and they've, they've paid for it with the blood of martyrs and Paul even shedding his own blood for the transmission of this message is now hearing word that these Judaizers have come in and said, yes, it's salvation by grace through faith. 
and you need to be circumcised. Because that's how you're saved, is observing the law. In addition, you need to be circumcised to be a true Christian. (laughs) I don't want to be. Right? And no bacon. Oh, I am so not doing this religion. And Paul's saying, what? My whole life was raised under that legalism. There was no hope in that. I never saw anything beyond rules and regulations and we're not going back to that bondage. Now, we're, we, are, we are people that are so arrogant that we think we can earn God's favor by observation of the law. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. You can't earn God's favor. You, you, you have no idea what you were contemplating. You have no idea. The harder you try, the word. Let me show you how... How big of a loser you and I are. Oh, foolish Newberry Parkians. <laughs> Let me show you. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution in all your life? Have you ever made one? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it. How many of you have kept every New Year's resolution you've made? Liars. An hour. Oh, good for you. Well, then you can be in heaven for an hour. None of you. How many of you ever gone over the speed limit? Rolled through it. Rolled through a stop sign. Said that red was really yellow. Come on. Everybody. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. Not one. And you're not going to get right with God by your observation of law. You're going to screw it up. So am I. And Paul looks at them when these Judaizers came in to try to own them. You know, and, and we talked last week about how you, you, you turn, you turn uh, communion in, in, into being part of a club. That man has to do some sort of a movement over it so it turns into the literal body and literal blood of Christ. And now there's membership in the club and man now has sway over your salvation. And Paul's talking about Judaism. You have to be circumcised. Oh, no, you can't eat bacon. Oh, you can't eat pork. Oh, you can't. And we go on and on and on, and man has some sort of control, and somehow we feel like we can earn favor with God by observing rules. You're not saved by your observation of the law. You've already proven that. We proved it. Would we agree? No? Well, let's do it again. Would we agree? And so Paul looks at these Galatians, and he says, why did you shelve your brain? I mean, I watched my wife. She homeschools the kids. We've gone over and over and over and over this. She's hitting her own hand, not their heads. <laughs> we have gone over this and over this and over. This is, this is elementary. What she's saying is, Paul didn't use the term moros in the Greek, which means morally or mentally deficient. Not like, you moron, you idiot. He didn't use moros. The word he used was an uh, uh, anotes, or uh, uh, excuse me, anotos, anotos. And the word anotos is this, he who thinks but doesn't. He who has the gift of perception but doesn't perceive. Meaning, let's put your thinking caps on. 
We've come to learn, haven't we? Hello? You know this. Why are we going over this elementary issue? And Paul just looks at him, you're foolish. You are, you're suffering this again. And then he uses this term bewitched. I love this one. He says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Some of you are going, bewitched. What does that mean, bewitched? Is that like a movie that used to have? And then, no, better. Every woman in the room can detect, can, can detect bewitchment. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. You're with your husband or your boyfriend or a man, and you've gone to dinner. And there happens, candlelight, lovely meal, and there happens to be a television in the restaurant. And the man, I'm sorry. Anyone? The man is bewitched by the idiot box in the corner of the restaurant. That, as Pastor Dave says, a window into hell. And his love is in front of him. And he's foolish. He's not looking into her eyes and spending a... Bewitched. Now we get the term. Let's move on. He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This idea of clearly portrayed among you means billboarded. Billboarded. You drive from wherever your house is to this location as you're driving. Every 100 feet is a billboard with a picture of Jesus Christ crucified. Bam, 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 bam. Just like I was talking, you go into a Starbucks. There it is. This picture of 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 that cup and the thing and the picture of what it, new life in Christ. And, but everywhere you go, Jesus Christ is being portrayed, billboarded as crucified. And for the Jew, and, and a lot of them were going, he was clearly portrayed before you as crucified. And, and a lot of them going, well, we, weren't, we didn't see Christ crucified. We've only heard about it. And, and Paul's saying, yes, yes, I've clearly portrayed him as crucified. I do it the first Sunday of every month. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We have the bread, we have the cup. I say, this is his body broken, his blood shed for the remission of your sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every Jew for over 2,500 years, even longer than that, since the Exodus, every Jewish family has celebrated the Seder. The Seder is a meal that speaks of the Passover, the deliverance out of Egypt, the, 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 the Paschal Lamb. The Passover lamb, clearly portrayed as crucified. You know this. Why did he have to be crucified? What's the point? Because the wages of sin is death. Every human being is on death row. Yeah? And Rich says, I want to die for Rob because it's my turn to hit the electric chair. And Rich goes to the warden, to the governor, and says, I want to die for Rob so he doesn't have to. And the governor says, you can't. Rich, you're already on death row. you got to pay your own. You can't pay for Rob. Who's going to pay for you? you got your own life to pay for because you are on death row as well. Nobody in this room can die for you. There's only one Savior. That's Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which you must and can be saved but that of Jesus Christ. And the King has come. He's already here. And he's been clearly portrayed among you as crucified. 
And then Paul says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you're now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? You know, this idea of, of, of being saved by the spirit. We received the spirit by, we didn't receive the spirit by the works of the law. How did we receive the spirit? Jesus said, he said in Luke chapter 11, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? How do you receive it? By earning it or asking for it? Yes. How do you receive salvation? By earning it or asking for it? It's a gift. May I have that? Yes. I'm a good father, God says. You give good gifts to your kids and you're evil. How much more will your heavenly father give to you who ask? You receive it by faith. Grace through faith, not of, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's what separates Christianity from every religion in the world. And then verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, they're like, well, uh, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. Ready? Listen to the question that Paul asks. He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Watch. I'm going to show you some miracles. Watch. How many people in this room have ever been addicted to drugs? Your marriage was falling apart. Your life was in shambles and simply by the preaching of the word of God and receiving it by faith, your life has transformed. Please raise your hands. How many of you did it by observation of the law? Come on, where are you, Tony Robbins? Come on. Dr. Phil, where are you? Oprah? Your 12 steps, anybody? Simply by the preaching of the Word of God. The Word of God is living and breathing and sharpening a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of heart. Transform your life. I had nothing to do with it. I'm, a, I'm speaking. That's a miracle in and of itself. You come and you listen to me. God takes the foolish things of the world and confound the wisdom of the wise. I, there was a point in my life I couldn't get a room of two people to listen to me. My wife had to. She's married to me. <laughs> and, and oftentimes you'll equate the power of the message with the messenger. I got nothing to do with it. You come up to me and say, that was a great message, Pastor. You know what you're telling me? It's like telling a scalpel. That surgery was unbelievable. <laughs> Scalpel's like... <laughs> Zero to do with it. 
the word of God transformed you. You came alive to the living, breathing word of God by faith. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, you know the answer to it. And he said, just like Abraham, and, and that's what the Jews were saying, Abraham's our father. And if you want to be a real believer, you got to be you know, in the lineage of Abraham. They go, okay, then we'll, I'll take Abraham. And Paul says, let's look at Abraham. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It does say that. What's significant about it? 400 years before the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments. It was even before Abraham was circumcised. He was made righteous. He didn't do squat. He received by faith. Righteous. Yes. Do you understand the significance of that? You got, you got, Hindu, uh, you got uh, Islam, you got Judaism, and you got Christianity all coming from Abraham. One is a lie, another is, is confusion, and the other is the truth. And these two are trying to get their righteousness by observation of the law. But we've received it by faith. Christ's righteousness is put on our account. Verse 7, almost done here. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God justified Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let me tell you how you get right with God. You don't have to have the last name Weinberg or Cohen or Horowitz or Richter. I'm not, I'm not picking on Jews. I'm saying they're not in because of their names. You're not made righteous because of your lineage. You're made righteous because by faith you've received Christ's righteousness and it was put on your account. And Jews have to do it just like Gentiles do. And we are all the seed of Abraham. And then it comes to this closing picture in verse 10. It says, For as many are as the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, which is Deuteronomy 27, 26. And all of you said, I haven't kept all the law, so you're cursed. We're all under this law of sin and death. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. There is a hell And without Christ, every man, woman, and child is going there. Some of you are going, Pastor, how can you preach that? Christ does. No one speaks more of hell than Jesus Christ because he doesn't want anyone to go there. I don't like it, but that's a reality. He says, verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Do you you get it? You, you You can't stand before a holy God with just a handful of sins and say, let me in. How many times a day does a good man sin? Eight? Ten? And let's just go through the... We can go through the commandments. We can do the Levitical laws too. And, it's, and Jesus said it's not just... It's, it's not committing adultery physically. It's just even doing it in your mind. He says that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Every man should be blind. Yeah? Getting angry with your brother? We're all guilty. It should be evident to all of us. We're not getting in. A good man sins eight to ten times a day, let's say, a really good man. 
365 days in a year, a good man's going to live a long time, 80, 85. That's a lot. Stand before God and say, let me in. I'm a good man. God says, good compared to who? Well, good compared to most of humanity. Certainly that pastor that was there on Sunday. God says, I know him. Who isn't? But you can't use him as your measuring stick. My son who died for you, who is sinless. You rejected his salvation and you want to stand before me and tell me you're good? Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. It's evident. Then how will a just man live? Like this. Look, the end of verse 11. The just shall live by... Let's try that again. The just shall live by... Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Can I get an amen? Amen. You've been set free, and I've been set free by the law of sin and death, by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's kind of like being bound by the law of gravity, and the law of thrust and inertia has lifted us above the law of gravity. We're bound by the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Broke through the gravity. And how did, he, how did he redeem us from the curse of the law? He became a curse for us. All the sins of the world were put upon him. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You'll see that on Good Friday. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I share all this with you because it was so significant to Paul that his people and the Galatians would understand that it's salvation by grace through faith, not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We need to get this. It's, it's remedial. Don't forget this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, to will and to do of his good pleasure. My salvation is by faith. I didn't earn it. I'm not any better than anyone else. I'm one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. And I got news for you. I observe the law, not because I have to in order to be saved. I observe the law because I am saved. I want to do what's right, that that I can serve the world. And Christians, that's why they're the most honest, or should be. The kindest, most patient, loving, thoughtful, Servants on the face of the earth. Why? Because we've been saved by grace through faith. We didn't earn it, God gave it to us. And out of gratitude, we give Him our life to serve others. Now, that's the relationship God always intended. As I said, I I went to a Seder last night. And I was invited to go. Micah is going to be our son-in-law come August 3rd. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. (laughs) And Micah's grandfather and grandmother wanted these prospective in-laws to, you know, check out a Jewish Seder. 
And I don't know why they invited us. They just like us, I think. But we got to go to the Seder, and I got to meet Al and Marilyn Horowitz. Sweet, sweet couple. Been married over 60 years, same house over 50 years. He's putting the Seder together. I had the great privilege. He was at the head of the table. I had the great privilege of sitting to his right. It was really sweet. And I'm listening to him go through the Haggadah, and he's going through it, and I'm listening to it. And, and I'm watching it in front of him is this chalice that's about yay big that has the wine in it, and it's over 100 years old that belonged to his, great, uh, to his grandfather from Poland. They were Jews from Poland. Maryland's uh, uh, family were Orthodox Jews from Hungary. They came, uh, met in New York, moved out to California, worked for American Airlines as a mechanic, retired, faithful guy, 92 years young. Maryland's in her late 80s, and they're just catering to us and loving on us, and he's funny as can be, and going through the whole thing. And in the middle of it, he turns to Micah's dad, Jeff, who happens to be one of our elders, and says to Jeff, you know, Jeff, this Seder meal, well, you know that last supper that you have in your religion? That was a Seder meal. And Jeff's like, hey, didn't know that. And I'm like, that's my in. I go, you're right. It was. Jesus held up the bread and said, this is my body broken. This is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. I started going through it, talking about the afikomen, and he had the three pieces in the cloth, and he hid one of them. And then the, the cool thing was uh, the middle piece, the, they're in three stacks. The middle piece was pulled out, broken in half. The larger piece was wrapped in linen, and then it was placed somewhere hidden. And then one of the children had to go and find it and then ransom it back. And I think Al paid 34 cents for it. But Rita was trying to get some bucks out of him for the wedding. 34 cents. That's not going to buy a lot. But anyways, uh, that, the offy Komen and looking at each of the elements, and I, I was touched by it, especially with, with the offy Komen, because it's the only word, the only word in the Seder that's not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word. And it, and, and it used to mean offy Komenen, which, which was this idea of he's coming. And then they changed it to Afikomen, which means he came. And there can't be any leaven. Leaven is a representation of sin. And to make sure all the sin's out of it, they pierce it with a roller with stripes and holes. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we would see him. There is no beauty that we would desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, and he was taken from prison and from judgment. And then it goes on to say, Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. It goes on to declare even more, but the picture 
is this idea of the Passover lamb, Exodus 12. And I said this to Al. I said, you know what's interesting, Al? Not only the Afi Coleman, but it's this wine, this blood. It, it would go in the basin in Exodus 12, and then you take a piece of hyssop, and you dip it in the blood, the Passover blood of the lamb. And, and it was the final plague, and you dip the hyssop in the blood in the basin, and then you put it on the sides of the door and on the top of the door. And that was the last plague, and the angel of death came through Egypt, and wherever they saw the blood of the lamb, they would pass over that house, and no one would die. But anywhere where the blood wasn't covered, they would die. I said, this is what's interesting about the, the Passover lamb and the blood. It was in the, the basin of the door, and it was dipped and put on the sides and on the top, crown of thorns, blood pouring out, pierced, and his hands, his feet were pierced. Every drop was poured out for the remission of our sins. I said, it boils down to the fact that he came, and you're still waiting for him. And he says, well, that's the confusion, isn't it? I said, it's not a confusion. All you need to do is agree with me. You will be floored Friday night when you come to the Seder and you hear from Rabbi Marty, Pastor Marty, a man raised as an Orthodox Jew, when he declares to you the elements of that Seder meal, 2,500 years and longer it's been declared for generations. He's been billboarded before you. I said, you know, would you do this for me before we close? And I asked a friend and he said, sure, I'd love to. I wanted to get a Messianic Jew who came to understand the pieces of the Seder and how his life was transformed. You got to hear this because foolish Galatians, he has been billboarded before you. It's by grace through faith you've been saved, not of works. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Is Denny here? Denny, come on up and share with everybody. Let's welcome uh, Pastor Denny Weinberg. You know, uh, Pastor, when you read from Isaiah 53, for any Jews who are here, it is a, a deeply emotional uh, part of our life to hear uh, Christ's crucifixion described in Isaiah 53. In, in the Jewish religion, anywhere you are in the world on a Friday night, you'll study the same uh, portion of Scripture. And if you go through and you look at what is uh, read over the course of the entire year, Isaiah 53 is never read in front of a Jewish congregation. So we as believers see many, many parts of the Old Testament for the first time as believers uh, than, than what, than, and, and never saw them before. I grew up as a, as a young boy. Some of my earliest memories as a kid is going to Passover um, seders, uh, and it was exciting because what, what uh, Pastor talked about, the afikoma, what we remember as little kids is showing up and maybe being able to hunt and find the half of the afikoman and bring it back and get a little uh, reward for it and then being, you know, feeling great that we were the ones who found it. Uh, and so that's an in, in, enduring memory for a young Jewish boy. Uh, what, what, uh, what we know about the Seder, and it'll be very different than the experience you'll have Friday night here, but in a Jewish Seder, there are uh, all kinds of uh, symbols. The, the whole um, 
uh, Haggadah. This is an example of, this is the Haggadah that, that uh, Pastor Marty will use, but we remember Haggadahs. It, it means order. This is just so very much about Jewish religion. Everything's about order and about ritual, and, and that's part of us being born out of the law. And um, so we drink four cups of wine uh, during the service, and each one of them in the Jewish religion is, is um, uh, related to an, a portion of the service. At the beginning of the service, before the meal is the second cup, after the meal is the third cup, and the fourth cup is drank um, just before the end of the service. Um, and then there's a fifth cup uh, that is not drank. It's a cup that's set aside for Elijah because in Malachi... It says in Malachi that um, I will send Elijah before the great uh, and, and terrible day of the Lord. And so Jews set that cup aside. And so you've got, an, you've got unfinished business in the, Jewish, um, in the Jewish Passover because we don't, there's basically this waiting for what's going to happen. And uh, as a, I even remember as a young boy asking, as I grew up asking questions about um, salvation and how does salvation happen and because we don't have sacrifice anymore and what happens at the end of life and there are no answers for these questions it says i think in the talmud this is one of the great things that you hear back from jewish scholars is we won't know we don't need to know the answer to that because when the appointed time is right elijah will come back and answer all questions and that's the that's what you grow up with as a jew is that i can't have answers to these questions at some point in the future, somebody much greater than, you know, with greater knowledge than I will answer those questions. And this is, uh, this is why being, you know, growing up Jewish is a faithless and a hopeless, hopeless place. And it was, it was as, a, as a Jewish man at age 40 that my wife, my now wife, brought me to a messianic seder, much like what we will have on Friday night. And it was there that I was confronted with a very different view of the Passover. It wasn't about order. It wasn't about law. It was about relationship. And I heard at that Seder uh, that four cups described very differently. There was a cup that was about sanctification, and there was a cup of wine that was about deliverance, and there was a cup of wine that was about redemption, and there was a cup of wine that was about praise or restoration. And each one of those, as we go through the uh, service in a very traditional way, describes these symbolic things that, as a Jew, I grew up with and how they rep- are represented in the fulfillment of the word that we know as, uh, as Christians. Danny, let me ask you this. Uh, in relation to Paul with the Judaizers, did you find when you became a Christian that you wanted you, you had this tendency to go back to the law as though there was some sort of significance in, in being a, observant of the law and that would increase your your Christianity in some capacity? Yeah, it's, it is true, and you know Paul is such a is such a great uh, biblical hero for me because his conversion was so sudden it was so out of the spirit because yeah. he couldn't get there out of the law he studied it all and. You know, but it was through the Spirit. And absolutely, it's very natural, I think, for Jews to say, i got to go back to that now that I understand it. And, and, you're, and it is a challenge to say, wait a minute, it is only through faith. That's yeah. all I need. But it, we are drawn to that. Amen. Well, I would, I would share with you guys. Thank you, Denny. Let's thank Pastor Denny. <laughs> I would close with this thought. I, um, a, few, a, a few years ago, as a matter of fact, it was... Uh, Saturday, I had the privilege of uh, officiating a baptism for some folks at University Village, which is a, an uh, old age home, I guess, a senior citizen's home. And um, 
I had the privilege of sitting next to a, a lovely lady I hadn't met. She was a friend of one of the ladies who had been baptized. And then her husband was seated over here, and he was a doctor. And they had been in the Conejo Valley since 1967. And I, I turned to the woman. I said, did you know Dr. Irving Schaffner? And she says, yes. I said, do you know that he's a Christian? She says, Dr. Schaffner is a Christian. I said, yes. She said, Dr. Schaffner was the one who had you know, built the money to build the synagogue here in the Conejo. I don't know which synagogue. And I said, you know how it came about? And she said, how? And I said, he was in a bank teller line with one of the members of our congregation whose cell phone rang. And they said, no, I haven't gotten tickets to the Seder yet, but I'll do it this afternoon. Dr. Shafter turned around and said, I haven't been to a Seder since my wife died. And the congregant said, well, I'll get you tickets. You can come. Where will it be held? Um, Calvary Chapel. <laughs> Dr. Shafter, bless his heart, he came, and he sat through Pastor Marty's Seder meal. And for the first time in his life, he came to understand salvation by grace through faith, not by observation of the law. You know, he never missed a Sunday after that. He ended up retiring in Porterville, but he gave his heart to the Lord and came to know his Messiah. I want Al and Marilyn to come to know their Messiah. Al had had cataracts or glaucoma, and he had had the lenses in his eyes. I'm watching him read out of this Haggadah, and he's 92. He's not using glasses. And he goes, I had some lens work done. You know, his, his eyes are piercing blue. And, uh, and I thought to myself, as God removed the scales from his eyes to read the Haggadah, I prayed that God would remove the scales from his eyes, that he would see the Messiah in the Haggadah. <laughs> Folks, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Rejoice in that. Don't be foolish. And let's go out and proclaim that with, with every vestige of our being. Amen? Let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the clear picture that Pastor Denny shared with us. And Lord, that the Apostle Paul lovingly, though emphatically, declared to the church churches in Galatia, Lord, we want to thank you that we didn't earn this salvation. You gave it to us. I think of what Spurgeon said, that man is not only poor but proud, not only guilty but conceited, so that he will not humble himself to be saved upon terms of divine charity. He will not consent to believe God. He prefers to believe in the proud falsehoods of his own heart, which delude him into the flattering hope that he may merit eternal life. Well, Lord, we know that there are none righteous, no, not one. We haven't deluded ourselves into thinking that we have earned favor with you by anything we've done. We're here this day to declare that salvation comes by grace through faith. And that's extended to all who would believe. And so, Lord, we thank you this day for the work that you've done. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a